Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Tripping with Forrest. My name is Forrest Stevens, and uh, I haven't done this for a little while, so it feels kind of strange to do it, but I'm going to talk about something today, and I think what I'm going to be talking about is death. It's what's been on my mind. It's what's been my focus, um, and I'll also talk a little bit about my trip going uh, on right now. So my trip is a traveling physical trip in this world, not so much, uh, mental or psychedelic or spiritual trips. Although there is some aspects of that being integrated to some degree, but I think, um, yeah, let's get into that first. So my trip that I've been going on, uh, that I've been doing for a little while now has changed plans multiple times. So Emily and I were heading back to Ontario. We had made it from Vancouver Island to Kelowna, which is only a day away, you know, and a ferry. So two days, I guess, um, people do it in one day, but we did it in two. We also stopped in Squamish. We stopped in Vancouver. We stayed for a bit, did some filming here and there. Then we went to Kelowna. We were in Kelowna a day and we got the news that my mom was really sick. I mean, we knew she was sick, but essentially her, her cancer that she has is progressing really rapidly. So we had to make a decision on what we wanted to do. And we wanted to get back to Ontario. The original idea was to get back to Ontario, to be able to fix up our house to a degree where we could easily rent it out. And right now we could rent it out, but the price we would get for it and the ability to find tenants that we would deem reliable to look after the place. And we would be giving them a place that I wouldn't necessarily want anyone to live in because it's not, there's a lot of issues with the house still. We've owned it for two years, but a year of that was with no money. Uh, the first year we had money, we spent it all. <laughs> we spent it all on renovations and living expenses and trying to survive during COVID and not having any work. And now in the second year, we just had no money. So we, we had to go travel and, and now we're starting to have an income again. And the idea was to go back with that income and fix up the house while continuing to build my business and get it to a place of being able to rent by this winter so that we could travel again and come back to the West coast to spend more time with my mother before she passes. So we got this we got this call, we got this text, we got this message about how things had progressed really suddenly. It had only been a few days since I'd seen my mom. We had only made it to Kelowna and we decided to turn around ultimately. And now we're back uh, on my, my family's property here doing some more visiting and, and really helping um, look after her as, as her terminal illness gets worse and worse. So that's what we're doing right now. And it's, um, it's limited our ability to travel much. Uh, I'm filming a little bit here. We're on a, a rural, um, location, but it's full of alternative dwellings. It's just a lot of people are weary of filming with me, um, because of certain different reasons. Um, uh, but I've filmed a handful of videos. I filmed two this week which is not bad. And I've had plenty of time to spend with my family and with my mother, which has been nice. It's been really good to spend time with my mom. 
And I plan on actually talking to her and filming the conversation and having a conversation like this, but asking her a little bit about what it feels like to be near the end of her life. I think it's a very interesting thing to know that you're dying. I mean, we, and I'll get into this, but I, we are the only animal that we know of that has the conscious awareness that we're going to die. You know, animals have an instinctual fear of being injured and fear of, I suppose, death to some degree, the survival instinct. But they don't necessarily, they're not cognitive about the fact that they're going to die. They're not thinking about it. They're not, they don't know that really. They might know it in the moments before they die or, or some period before they die, but we know that in our, our almost entire life, or as soon as we become cognitive enough. And I was thinking about that because I think some people have memories of when they realize that death is a thing and that we die or that, you know, you and I die. Uh, and I'm not sure if I have that memory. I'm not sure if I remember knowing and figuring out that I'm going to die. I don't remember that feeling, but I, I know that. <laughs> and you know, everybody listening to this knows that. And it's a very interesting thing to know that. And it's a very interesting thing to have your death imminent and to be thinking about that. And my mom is considering doing this uh, program here in Canada called MAID, which is an abbreviation for um, Medical Assistance in Dying. It's essentially uh, three different injections. One is a sort of a I believe a um, sort of a pain killer type thing and then one to kind of calm you down and then a really strong anesthetic that will actually stop your heart. Uh, and it makes it so that you actually aren't able to breathe and, and it's a pretty peaceful way to die. I mean, that sounds really tough. It sounds like, oh, not being able to breathe, but it's not like you're struggling to breathe. It's just that you're not able to anymore and then your brain shuts down. So it's basically it's basically when you're you're dying of old age and you know you're in your sleep and your body is just not able to quite get those lungs pumping anymore and you just fade away. You, you pass out essentially and then you're you're gone. So my mom is considering that and I think it's a very interesting thing to consider um voluntarily dying it opens up a whole bunch of questions like is there time that needs to be spent or could be spent that you're missing because you're you're dying before you naturally go although this is a fairly natural way to go because it's basically designed in a way to just stop you from being in a lot of pain as you die it's designed for people who are at the end of life already, basically. So I want to ask her about those questions. I think that's an interesting, um, interesting thing. And uh, I also want to talk to you all about my personal um, feelings around this. I don't, uh, unless I kind of consciously engage in my feelings like I'm doing right now, these are not thoughts that go on in my head. I don't, I have enough of other things going on that unless I'm in the moment of talking to somebody about it or talking to my mom about it, it's not 
really on my mind. Um, I'm sure there'll be some processing that I'll have to do afterwards. And the reason I say that is because I'm physically processing this beforehand. And what I mean by that is I, for the past week, for absolutely no reason in particular, although I believe I have a good reason for it, my hip has been absolutely excruciatingly painful. I have this this reoccurring injury in my hip and it stems from, oh, actually, I remember. I remember. Oh, this is so crazy. I forgot that this was my memory, my first memory of, of learning that I was going to die. It's not so direct as learning about death, but it was more so about learning about my impermanence as a physical being and realizing that I was, I was a being that could be destroyed. When I was growing up and I was young, I had growing pains. This one day, all of a sudden, just intense pain in my left leg, in my left hip. And my family told me, it was my dad who was home at the time. He told me that he thought, you know, we'd been going to a chiropractor for a while. And I had this thing where I would kind of like walk with my one leg. It would kind of turn in as I pushed away. My left, my left foot would kind of turn as I pushed off of it. And they thought, okay, this might be something to look at. And I had orthopedics uh, insoles in my shoes at one point and went to this chiropractor a whole bunch of times. And ultimately there was a, a thought that my one leg was a little longer than the other and that could be the reason for that. And so when I had these growing pains, that's what my dad told me is he thinks that maybe this one leg is starting to catch up or growing or is in pain because of that or something like that. And I've never measured my legs. Um, maybe they measured them then when I was a kid. I don't know. But my dad fashioned me a cane and I laid on the, on the couch and I don't know, I was maybe four or five. I, it's a memory. So you can have, me- I've had, mem- I have memories that were when, when I was three. So I think it, it could have been as early as four. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm in so much pain and this physical pain that I'm not able to walk. I'm not able to move. And it's physically challenging for me. And it made me aware that I was not indestructible. And it's quite likely that I had maybe a a sickness before then, a cough, a cold, the flu, whatever. But it was the first time that I wasn't able to physically move because of something. And And I think that was the first time that I realized that. And later on in my life, when I was 15, I think, I was doing a bent over barbell row in weight class. And I kind of yanked the bar up too fast and my back was too straight. Uh, my, my posture wasn't good. It was too much weight. And I felt that right in the back of my hip and it hurt. And, and I was like, oh, I can't do that anymore. And I injured myself in that same way. It was that same hip, that same leg. And it was that same feeling of, oh, I'm not able. I'm not able to do this anymore. And it became such a fear at the time when I was 15 that I babied it. And it made it worse because I didn't do the recovery necessary after resting the inflammation that happened because of a pulled muscle. Then when I was 
16 or 17, I was into boxing and I competed in a competition and I, com- and I was sick two days before the competition with a bad flu and I wasn't up on my cardio because I was bedridden from this illness for a couple of days and I was recovering from this sickness and I was so full of myself, I was so confident and I was near the top of my class and I was a good boxer and I had good cardio but I didn't take into account that I had just been sick and I got my ass handed to me by this guy who was older than me. And on a good day when I was doing good and when I was at, you know, in good physical condition, I could have handled my own against this guy for sure. It would have been a good fight, but it was not a good fight. I got my ass handed to me and I realized that I was not able. It was another one of those things where I realized I was not able. And I literally couldn't get out of bed because of my hip feeling so bad after this this boxing match. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. It was so painful to get up and go to the bathroom. I remember that. And I was just laying in bed. I didn't go to school. I just, my hip was killing me. I was not able. Then throughout the years, at pivotal moments of emotional stress, once again, of being not able. Uh, a time that is memorable to me when was when we were living in our Chevy 20 van and I was staying at my grandmother's because it was too cold to live in the van and it was the van was too ill-equipped. And Emily and I couldn't hack it in there together in the winter. And, and we were moving to this place in Victoria and I just felt like I didn't have any control, like I wasn't able. There's a reoccurring theme here, right? I wasn't able to do, I wasn't able to, I wasn't able to put my will into the world and create what I wanted to create, the world that I wanted to live in. And that was, that happened two days before moving. And it's happened to some degree every time before moving because it just feels like there's so many things out of my control and I'm not able to control them. And so I believe that this feeling in my hip, this feeling in my leg is from an ability of, or or from the feeling of not being able. And this came about one evening after being in the hot tub and Emily and I were kind of having like this argument about something and it was just it was not a good situation with us we were not in a good place we we really needed to do some connecting and we had grown a little bit distance and we were just feeling at odds in this situation that we chose to do which was to come back and it it was a tough decision to come back every choice you make is tough i mean if we had not come back if we had gone to ontario and done the plan we had originally thought we know that we would have been there and thought, oh, did we make the right decision? And we would have had consequences of feeling like we didn't make the right decision. Now we were here and we were feeling that same way. We were thinking, is this the right decision for us? And we made the decision. And and the, the truth of it is, is that I only have a limited amount of time left to spend with my mom. There's not going to be just another time where I could do this, where I could come here and visit her. Uh, that time is just not going to exist. So we made that decision because, once again, we really felt like we had no other choice. We didn't really feel like we had another choice. 
And maybe there is the feeling that produced this, this hip problem for me, this leg problem of mobility, where I felt once again, like I wasn't able. I'm not able to help my mom. I'm not able to do the plan that we had planned to do. Uh, I'm not able to satisfy everybody in my life. Um, not able to give everyone what they want. I, and I'm not able to give myself what I want. And I'm feeling unable. So there's this thing that happens when um, when you have an emotional trauma like that, right? This is This is where I'm holding my fear, my fear of not being able, my fear that not everything is the way that it should be. Uh, my fear that I've made a wrong choice, my fear that I will not be able to do what I need to do. That fear is held in my hip and it disables me. Although it is temporary, it has gone on for a long time. And it's been very interesting because what I have found in the past, and actually I learned this when I first, when I had that experience at, um, when living at my grandmoms, when I, uh, grandmoms, <laughs> that was funny. Um, I went to acupuncture. And I felt like acupuncture did nothing for me. But then later that day, I kind of turned over on my side and turned my hips kind of sideways and cracked my back, my lower back, my hip. And it, immediately the pain was gone. Now there was a lingering pain from the muscle actually being sore, but the tightness that left me kind of immobile and in so much pain was gone. So I recognize that. And, and every time that I've had this happen since I've tried to get to that place of relaxation that the acupuncture created, and maybe it tapped into some deeper muscle relaxation that, that needed to happen. And I have acupuncture booked this Saturday, although I don't like acupuncture personally, I find that it helped in the past. So I'll, I'll try it again. This time I've been doing, uh, Advil, ibuprofen, and uh, it is an anti-inflammatory. And I've been doing Voltaren on on my, uh, you know, locally, and trying to get that to that place where I'm relaxed enough where I can crack my hip. And the times that that has happened, that pain is completely alleviated. However, it keeps coming back. It's been a, a reoccurring thing. Every single day, it comes back, either in the morning, at night. In the middle of the night, I had it come up and it was so painful. I couldn't sleep. I had to get up and I had to go get Advil. And I, it was just, it was unbearably painful. And I think that this also ties to not necessarily just a fear of being unable, but, you know, because what is the fear of not being able, but also the fear of death? It, those, those two are tied together in my belief. And, um, because death is this inevitability that we all have to face and there we have no control over it we have absolutely no control over it and it's happening also to my primary caregiver it's happening to my mother and there's nothing i can do about it and i'm losing her and there's that feeling of just um just just wonder wondering what's next you know it's not like i rely on my mother anymore i'm an adult um 
but I, you know, that doesn't mean anything else. It just, it just means that I don't rely on her. So there's not that feeling of not being able. I mean, the things that I won't be able to do is I won't be able to call her. I won't be able to talk to her. I won't be able to see her, spend time with her. I won't be able to do things with her in the future. Um, if we ever have kids, she won't be able to meet them. You know, there's all these things that, that tie into that feeling of not being able but I'm not sure if that is the center of that feeling. I think that I think that it's somehow tied to the death thing. And I haven't, like I said, when when these things aren't being directly uh, impacting my life in the moment, you know, if I'm talking to somebody, I'm not thinking about this stuff. And I I think I need to. And I think that's partially why my hip has been so hard and so tough and so painful is because I haven't been thinking about it. I haven't been addressing the emotions in the moment. Um, I've been distracted with all the other things to do. And you're, it's, it's like that book, you know, your body keeps the score, keeps the score for trauma, but it also holds emotions and it, your body is sort of a place where that emotion can react and can, can act out. And it's sort of, more accepted by society and it's also a place that it's it's just like if you're not going to acknowledge me in your mind then i have to present myself physically so that you can attach yourself to something that is happening and you're forced to become aware of it and then deeper in that pain there's something else so it's been tough with for me actually, and I've been very con. I've been <laughs> contemplating uh, consuming cannabis again because cannabis gave me that forced reflection and that sort of IFS-like state of mind where I can go back and kind of see deeper into what this sensation in my body is actually tied to, and try to alleviate that because I have found just so little um remedy in anything else you know ibuprofen is built to be a temporary relief and it barely does anything to to what this problem is I, it's not even a sense of relief it's just what else am i going to do kind of feeling and uh stretching makes it worse because it's inflamed stretching just inflames it even more um i think ice would probably help i could probably ice it i've done a little bit of hot tubbing there's a hot tub on the property here and done some self-massage and sometimes that makes it better sometimes it doesn't it's just it's definitely an emotional thing it wasn't like i i um bent over road or I did some boxing or I'm experiencing growing pains. It was literally just like one night after an emotionally exhausting day, my hip started to hurt and became tight. And then eventually it cracked and it felt way better. And I realized this is the same thing. Although it's moved a little bit. It used to be in my back hip. Now it's actually my hip flexor and my back hip. So my hip flexor is so tight and so painful that it's hard to move my leg sometimes like this is kind of the mobility like right here it starts to hurt and right here it starts to hurt so i have in between there that's basically my mobility sideways of my leg and sometimes it's not even that 
really depends. I mean, I did a shoot two days ago and it was at 10 a.m. in the morning and I woke up feeling so bad and I had to bike there and I couldn't even get on the bike. So I just put my right foot on the pedal and stood on the side of the bike and it was an e-bike. So I just hit that throttle and just rode, <laughs> rode up the road. It was only, you know, five minute bike away, but it was, uh, I couldn't get on the bike and I couldn't get off the bike. I, I tried and it just hurt so much to lift my leg over the bike. It was crazy. So anyway, I'm going through a lot of things here and I'm, I'm going to try to process it. And I think that, you know, maybe this was a space where I could process it a little bit. Still contemplating uh, consuming cannabis to to try to get to that point of reflection, but maybe even that point of relaxation that I need to be able to just relax my muscles and body enough so that it can go back into place because it just seems like a tendon or a joint is just completely out of place and it's causing this this lock because the relief that I have found when my my hip is cracked is just immense. It's just I feel like I'm reborn. I just feel like I want to run and jump after that and and I and I am able to although I have a little muscle pain still. I'm able to just have mobility again and it's just like oh my god, it's done. It's fixed. The first time it happened, oh, so relieving. And then it just tightened back up and I was like the problem has not been dealt with. So I'm experiencing a lot of physical symptoms, but I think I'd rather experience these emotional symptoms and deal with them right now as I'm able to, as my mother is still alive and as I can go through these emotions and and not have to carry them in a physical body. Uh, it's, um, there's, you know, it's a trade-off, you know, but I think that if we can deal with things in the mind, they don't have to progress further into the body and and because that's a further progression it's deeper and because of that it's harder to actually get working on that that stuff so that's my uh that's my podcast for today i will try to get my mother on the podcast um jen stevens and talk to her about death and dying um i think that would be an interesting one and uh although emotional, but hey, maybe that's what I need. Maybe I need a bit of emotion in my life. I find it very tough to connect to emotion, emotional stuff when I'm not consuming cannabis. It's very strange. I'm very much more um, just kind of analytical and straight and narrow. You know, I guess that's what they call it, the straight and narrow. It's been good though for my business. I've been working a lot more, building the business up, hiring, a, you know, an assistant, hiring more freelancers. I've hired an editor. It's just building up. It's building up this business of mine. So love you all. Thank you all for watching, listening. Appreciate it. Um, that's all I have to say. Be good. Call your mom and uh, deal with your emotions. See ya. On this show, you know, I've talked a lot about money. Um, investing is an interest of mine. Money is really important. It's a store of energy of our, of ourselves. And basically, we can use it to create in this world. We can make all these different things happen just because of the money that we either use. And the more you accumulate of it, the more you can create. And it's just, uh, it's a fascinating subject. And it's a lot easier sometimes to actually save money 
than it is to make money. So today's sponsor is Mint Mobile. And if you're in the States and you have a cell phone, you can probably save a lot of money by switching to Mint. I mean, Mint has these plans. It's like 15 bucks a month, unlimited calling, unlimited texting, five gigabytes of data. They have 4G, 5G plans. And for 30 bucks, you can get unlimited data included with that plan. And so it's like 30 bucks unlimited data. And the internet is so powerful. We need to get on there. We need to learn. I mean, you're probably, you're using the internet right now to listen to this, to download this. Um, it's important to have, and you might be able to save a ton of money by switching to Mint. So check out the link in the description for Mint Mobile, and we get a kickback here. We get a small commission, so it really, really supports the show. It's super, super important to um, feel like I can actually do this and make a little bit of cash, um, th this podcast. So it's going a long way, and it's really important for you to save money as well. So if you are spending too much on your mobile, go at least check it out. See if the coverage is good for you, if the service is good for you. And basically, it's a smart business as well. What they've done with Mint Mobile is they've um, they've basically done what more and more companies are doing to save money and to pass it on to consumers, which is not have a retail store. There's a lot of empty shopping malls out there in the world now because there's no need for companies like Mint Mobile to have a cell phone kiosk in the mall or whatever storefront. And so they can pass those savings from not having to um, you know, rent and lease that space, not having to employ those people working there. They can employ people in a more concentrated fashion so they can have less employees and serve more people basically. And they do it all online, all through the internet. And the customer service is supposedly pretty good still. Um, that's the other thing too, is you don't want to like lose things by switching to Mint Mobile. So I would I would just recommend checking them out, see if it's a fit for you. Um, basically, when I ever have a problem on my cell phone, I'm calling them anyway. I'm not going into a store. Uh, that's just, you know, you're just looking to get upcharged basically by going into a store anyway. So um, check it out. Links in this description, like I said.